Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, is it good to be back sharing this with you guys. I had a great conversation with Jasdeep Mago from Mumbai, India. And for longtime subscribers to the program, you'll remember that I interviewed Jasdeep and Jay Punjabi, her business partner with Invisible Illness, many years ago, probably, probably two and a half years ago now. And it was wonderful. And we got to reconnect this time and we talked about all sorts of things and it was like, it was like old friends getting together. It was really, really nice. And I don't know if I'm more in awe of the conversation and the fact that I've connected with somebody halfway across the world, 9,000 miles away, or the fact that I was talking to somebody halfway across the world, 9,000 miles away through the blessings of technology. I think we curse technology a lot and we take for granted its benefits of which this is one, certainly the the ability for you to download this and listen to it wherever you're listening to it and however you're listening uh, is uh, something that couldn't be done 12, 15 years ago for sure. And now we, we can do it from our living rooms at the drop of a hat and uh, talk to people halfway across the world like they're in the next room. It's pretty amazing. And I am humbled and honored to have somebody so smart and talented and hardworking as a guest on this show. And if you have not connected with Jaws Deep, I highly recommend you follow her on Instagram, uh, certainly Invisible Illness. She puts out a lot of videos like we do at Zephyr Wellness. And that's a nice segue into inviting you to follow us on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook so that you can get some of our free content. We try to put out as much as we can at the pace that we can uh, that you know makes sense to us just so people can have access to helpful hints and tips and educational pieces uh, without needing to necessarily step into the office. You know, So uh, we're in northern Nevada, ZephyrWellness.org if you want to find out more about the organization. But uh, not everybody can come to Northern Nevada for professional psychotherapy. So in the spirit of yield theory and meeting you where you are, let's try to push some information out to you. So I do some videos. I try to teach some stuff. And uh, a lot of it has to do with emotional functioning. And we try to cross-platform it so everybody has access to it. And that's the spirit of this podcast, too, to, uh, to share it broadly so that people can educate themselves and enrich their own noggins. And speaking of educating and enriching your noggin, if you have not yet checked out Audible, you probably should, and you can do so with a free trial at audibletrial.com slash notes. You get a free 30 days, you get a free audio download, and it helps us out to keep this podcast on the air. If you decide to cancel inside that for 30 days, you still get to keep your free audiobook. So it's uh, it's no risk and all reward. AudibleTrial.com slash Notes. You'll get access to Audible's incredible inventory of audio content and a free one of your own. Check it out. Without further delay, I reintroduce you to Jasdeep Mago of Invisible Illness India, clinical psychologist, and uh, now I can comfortably call her a friend and colleague. Enjoy. Welcome back, Jasdeep Mago from uh, India. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Doing very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm so glad to be seeing you. I'm, I'm doing well, actually. Um, we're uh, it's it's a it's an awkward position when you when you own or co-own, in my case, a, a therapy company, and we keep growing and business is booming and we're setting records year over year because people are hurting, and that really bothers me. It's really like I want to work myself out of a job. I really do. Cause it means we'd have a healthy community, but 
or not. So it's like, do I celebrate the success or do I like mourn it because people are suffering and it's, that's always tough, but um, overall, you know, we're okay. Pandemic is, you know, doing whatever it's doing. And I just got my vaccination. Um, I, oh, I got, really? I, I got the wow. Moderna shot. Yep. I got, I got both injections uh, just like three days ago. I got my second one and very, very few effects from that. Um, yeah. But, I was just going to ask, how are you feeling? Good. Um, my, I have a, a brother-in-law who's a pharmacist and he suggested doing, um, multimodal NSAIDs. So 600 milligrams of ibuprofen every four hours and a thousand milligrams of Tylenol every six hours for a couple of days. And it knocks down the body aches and the headaches and the, and, um, and some of the, the, the hot, cold, chill symptoms and whatnot. And it totally worked. And there were two separate times when I didn't do it. Um, one was, uh, I mentioned we, we just had, we're in the middle of the snowstorm and like a couple days ago, we had another snowstorm and I was snow blowing for like six hours and I forgot to take my, my medicine and it totally hit me. Like it totally hit me, knocked me down. I was super fatigued, um, chills, feverish. And then last night I, I didn't take anything yesterday cause I thought I was through it cause it'd been like a day and a half and totally hit me again. So I, I popped some more ibuprofen and I was good, but um, yeah, for, for people who are listening, if you, if you're not like, you know, I get the privilege of being on the front line, I guess, and treating people. Um, so I got, I got round one, but if you're, if you're in line, definitely, uh, definitely load up on the, on the multimodal NSAIDs. It, it definitely works. So, um, that's how I am. I, otherwise I'm uh, fine. Uh, my wife had, had more symptoms than I did and some of my colleagues did, but, but I, I made it okay. So, but I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about you. <laughs> Uh, so I just had one question about the vaccine. You said you're yeah. in the front line. So in the U.S., do they qualify therapists and psychiatrists in front line? They they do um, because the the general, I guess the general consensus is that you got healthcare workers who are treating physiological symptoms, but because of the lockdowns, people are suffering so bad mentally that they wanted the mental health workers to continue working as often as they could in person as often as they could uh, because our field is, has been blessed with this zoom technology, which is really nice. And we're learning to become competent in telehealth, but it's not, it's not everybody's cup of tea, you know? And, and when we're already forced apart, I think it, it sends the message that it's, it's one more reminder that we're, we're distant from each other. So all the more we can do to keep people connected face to face in physical contact, I think is a good thing. And, and the vaccinations do that, which is uh, great, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't take that privilege lightly. I, I know that there's other people out there who need it, you know, the elderly and the frail and uh, school teachers, uh, you know, um, yeah. other quote unquote essential industries like, you know, mini marts and grocery stores. So how, how's it, how's it going in your uh, neck of the woods? You're, you're literally on the other side of the world. It's pretty wild. Um, so to be honest, uh, initially when it began, it was, uh, it felt like we were on vacation. So it was great. Um, at least, at least for the privileged part of the world, of our country, it felt, it felt like such a relief, like so stress-free. And then we slowly started to realize the smaller problems. Um, of course me as a mental health professional, I, there was immediately, um, like you said, you know, such a hike in the demand for um, our work. Yeah. So, so many people reaching out randomly. Um, so many brands reaching out to, you know, now talk about mental health, not just, you know, not just people reaching out for therapy, but also bigger companies, brands, um, 
uh, any anything literally anybody and everybody was reaching out for like can we do an instagram live or can we have a talk and we have some content oh, wow. on mental health which was um, great because we believe that obviously uh, you know we like any kind of awareness is is really good you know it's needed it's essential in our country so it, the more the number of people that are talking about it the better it is no mm-hmm. matter what they why they're driven to talk about it we can't really we can't really judge that or you know right. uh, so it, it's it's up to everybody as to why they choose to talk about mental health but in that moment obviously the pandemic was demanding that everybody talk about say anxiety or being stuck at home uh and so initially it was really really um so the the scare of uh, covid was bigger than what covid was actually in our country we barely had a thousand cases but our entire country was locked down and that's that's like nothing for oh. 1.3 billion people yeah, that's, if you're listening that's billion with a b 1.3 yes. billion people so like <laughs> 10 times the city of las vegas <laughs> Yeah. So basically, uh, for us, when sorry, we no, went- no, no. That's a hundred times the same. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. What is that? That's a thousand. Times. Las Vegas has about a million, <laughs> million three in the outlying areas of Clark County compromise or comprise like another couple hundred thousand. But like, that's a thousand times the size of Las Vegas. I'm sorry. I'm not a math person. I got three degrees and they're all in the arts. So a thousand <laughs> times the size of Las Vegas is your country. That's huge. Yeah. So when when we were going into lockdown, we were just like, this is so unnecessary. But, you know, there was such a panic created. So we were all like just following with the panic and the panic that was created was really the issue more than anything. There was paranoia that was built, which led to like people feeling supremely anxious, feeling stuck, you know, and being stuck and isolated alone for a lot of people who come from smaller towns and live in cities Um uh, and, you know, so the, the isolation, the distance from families, uh, of course, that became a whole mental health concern. But like speaking of purely of the COVID scenario in our country, it went from being great uh, to like disaster. And then that's when when it hit disaster was when our country decided to sort of like open everything up because they were just like, now our economy cannot if afford being shut anymore. So uh, hold uh, on. I'm, I'm totally unfamiliar with this because I've been paying attention, I guess, as this is the bias of the American media to Europe and, and the US and a little bit of China because that's sort of where it originated. But I have no idea what you're talking about. So do you mean when COVID exploded, the country opened back up? Mm-hmm. So we were in lockdown wild. for five months and it was very strict lockdown, extremely strict by that. I mean, you are only allowed to leave for essentials and that also at a certain given time, not out well, of that time. How did they police that? What was, what was a penalty if you, if you were out, say, not doing essentials or outside of your time frame? How, how did they police that? It's uh, a really bad way of saying this. I mean, they policed it by having patrolling everywhere. So we, wow. where I live, I pretty much live in like the center of the suburb in Mumbai that I live in. Uh, I live pretty much in the center of that. So I would see like police vans patrolling all the time. Um, wow. Them being on bikes and like uh, BM, like the 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 municipal workers, uh, you know, doing that. And they would like. Um, and honestly, there was such a panic created on the media that nobody wanted to leave their house. Like right. it was 
it was crazy um I, you know honestly it seems like a lifetime ago that that happened because so much has happened since then right yeah totally I, it feels like that part of lockdown happened like 3 years ago that's what it feels like right now did you uh, did you happen to know i i, I want to stand this for a second cuz i want to compare notes for the listening audience cuz i know most of our people listen you know domestically here in the us it's fascinating yeah. to me and i don't know if you paid attention to the us but we have a, a, like basically every state did its own thing like mm. there was no yeah. unanimous consent because we're so fractured politically like we made science politicized which is the most absurd thing in the world but um we had no leadership at the top and then all the states fought each other and now and we're still fighting like right down to counties within states it's really it's really pathetic so you guys didn't have that you had some real strong leadership nationwide is what it sounds like huh uh yes initially and then eventually what happened was um the the states that were um worse hit by covid uh, or had higher number of cases or more deaths or uh over running out of hospital beds basically they had higher restrictions so like the state i am in had a lockdown way longer than the rest of the country way okay. longer because we are still in a really bad state even now compared to the rest of the country uh so for us the lockdown so yes there was state wise division that way but not uh, not so drastic where there were internal fights and things like that it wasn't that um bizarre or that um, divided i would say because central government still sort of handles everything state government okay. is still secondary um so uh, but what really started to like prop up was like minimum like daily wage workers were really struggling obviously so like they had to leave they, they are people who come from really really small villages to the cities to earn daily wage literally so for them like it became a huge issue in our country there were a series of other things that happened simultaneously at that time and it almost seemed like the government was trying to hide the or the media was trying to hide the covid reality by masking it with other irrelevant uh, news by making it bigger and grander so that kept happening so the like media, what what did you what did you have going on for example there was a movie star in bollywood who committed suicide at the time which became a huge mental health concern mm-hmm. uh because in the midst of the lockdown when a huge celebrity commits suicide it creates a ripple effect it creates a copycat effect and oh. i'm sure you're aware of that yeah 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 um, I mean, and if you're unfamiliar if you're listening somebody dies by suicide and then other people think oh well if it's okay for that person i can have that path out too and we don't we don't really have that problem these days in america i don't think because suicide's mm-hmm. way more talked about these days than it is i know in your country um, but that's what the copycat thing is yeah precisely so it it sort of makes it acceptable to do it as soon right. as someone else has done it or, or it makes it like a available option so that sort of happened and it it spiraled like all my clients in therapy each and every single one of them was triggered it it set them back in their like uh in their in their journey towards getting better it set them back by like two or three months because wow. the media hyped that whole episode so out of proportion that they didn't realize that they were affecting a billion people right. and their minds and it led to so many youngsters around our country randomly committing suicide just because they were like if he can do it i can do it and it's okay wow. um 
and so sad, I have bigger though. problems than him and I can do it like you know it became it became um and you know honestly the media did not help with any of this it just it just kept getting bigger and bigger and it this happened in june until september we were all still talking about it so that's just too much time spent yeah. on somebody's uh you know a really unfortunate event like it's just too much time spent on something that can really bring uh, can really trigger people and it's a supremely triggering uh, topic and i remember being triggered immensely because i remember i had to take a break from therapy because um i was so triggered by the episode that happened and then all my clients being triggered and then for me to manage my emotions along with you know all my clients emotions along with the media i had to totally cut out instagram for like uh, instagram and news for like two weeks because it was so triggering to hear listen or see anything related to it um and that's what the media was doing it was sort of masking covid by putting something else in place and they didn't realize that one was worse than the other one like to begin with you know covid the lockdown was bad enough for everyone their mental health anxiety was high paranoia was higher social isolation so many issues uh, and then to mask that with a suicide i just felt like that was so irresponsible um and that basically we had a series of events like that so for us lockdown sort of was a roller i mean it was a roller coaster ride for everybody i don't doubt it but for us we saw um such we saw problems that i don't think would ever become so big they became that big during the lockdown like even the minimum wage or the daily wage workers they faced problems otherwise also it just became such a big issue because the media was just trying to show us something apart from the number of people dying and then eventually what they found was like that in that indians were a lot more resilient towards the virus compared to anywhere else in the world That's which amazing. is not a shocker for us because we know that we have a more resilient body because we are <laughs> surrounded by a lot more i guess bacteria viruses etc and we are a lot more like immune to it i i suppose yeah. um so we started like so even currently the death rate in india is the lowest around the world huh uh even though our cases are really high uh, the death rate the mortality rate is super low um so people are recovering a lot more than anywhere else in the world which is great for us uh, so um i mean i haven't got covid yet uh, it, it's surprising because I, we have returned back to normal life since i would say october since october we wow. have we bars restaurants masks? Uh, weddings do you wear uh, masks i wear a mask uh-huh. i don't expect people around me to wear it because they don't that like, is it's that- it's a huge fight here it's it, it, it get check this out so we're rolling out the vaccines right and that's a big debacle it's it's a cluster uh, again because everybody fights over everything these days but people are getting vaccinated and there's actually medical doctors prominent medical doctors on social media saying even after you get the vaccine and even though these vaccines have been proven not 99 not, not 95% not, more like 99.9% effective and now we're finding out that you don't you don't get it at all and you can't spread it if you don't get it like this is a non issue for most of the emerging science 
They're saying you must still wear a mask and get this double masks. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? I'm not, I'm not kidding. I watched a gal post a picture of herself. She went to the inauguration for our presidential inauguration. She posted a picture and and she got absolutely torched over. She's a nice lady. I, I, I've, uh, I've crossed paths with her a couple of times. She's really brilliant, but she posted a picture wearing an N95 mask with a, a cloth mask over the top of it and saying how proud she is. She's, she's not quote unquote taking any risks on this, you know, with this thing, but she's going to fly <laughs> in a plane, go through airports to an inauguration with, with a bunch of people. It's like, if you're really not taking any risks, you don't leave your home, but she was already double vaccinated. Like she'd gotten the second shot. It was, it was like, what are we doing? Why are we doing There's this? There's only that much you can do to save yourself from this. There's only that much that's in our control. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you, because you're a clinical psychologist, you do this for a living like I do. What is your opinion on why people are reaching for this 0% risk? That's completely unattainable. And we've never even entertained that idea in any other walk of life ever. But now with COVID, it's like the, the risk level has to be zero for us to do anything. I don't get it. What, what do you think is going on? So honestly, that's something I have not seen where I live at all. Because over here, initially, yes, for the first three months, everyone was like zero risk, zero risk. But it was possible at that time because... There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. If you get out, the police catches you and you have to be, you have to go back home. So there was literally nothing to do. So the only option available was zero risk, which is lock yourself in your house and sit there and entertain yourself. But now that everything is coming back to normal, nobody even cares about COVID. Forget zero risk. No one even huh. cares. Over here, if you walk the streets, out of a hundred people, you'll see probably... 20 wearing a mask and the rest not at all even bothering we still have mask um, mandates where masks are mandated everywhere um businesses will get fined by the it's it's called osha occupational safety health administration they'll fine you and the state can take your business license if you as a business owner are not enforcing the mask mandate on your property it's it, like it's super super horrible and now of course people have drawn their lines about you know and there's all this virtue signaling like I wear two masks. I wear three masks. It's gotten ridiculous in some circles, but there's, I mean, it's, I can't even explain how divisive it's become. There's, there's literally no reason to, you can't have a conversation about it. You just can't not anywhere. But There, there are a, a whole other sect of people who aren't following anything in the U S right. Cause yes. that's all that we hear that's, about. We only hear yes. about the people so who don't care. Pick your, I don't know what the distribution curve would look like, but it, you're going to have the fringes. So there's the, there's the people I just described who are like still afraid of their own shadow and apparently never took a high school biology class. and Don't understand how viruses work, who wear their masks when they walk their dogs by themselves down the street in, in a neighborhood. Like they're not interacting with anyone. They're out in the daylight uh, and they're, they're masked up. They're, they're wearing rubber gloves. And it's like, what do you, what do you think this I is? Think it's very bizarre. bizarre. And, and, yeah. and a lot of that crowd on that end of the distribution curve has no problem lecturing or shaming anyone and everyone at all times, social media, in person, in public, uh, wherever. Okay. It's ripped families apart, Jazdeep, I'm telling you. And then on the other end is the people who still believe that it's a hoax, that, that what Donald Trump said mm. a year ago, a year or more ago, 
is that it was fabricated. It doesn't exist. I, I've heard stories upon stories upon stories. My wife's a nurse and I haven't heard any directly from her, but there's, I'm connected in the community a little bit and I see this stuff go around and I know some physicians. There's nurses and physicians who literally watch people as they're gasping their last breaths. They're like, this, this can't be happening. The president said it wasn't real. And they're, pa- they're, they're passing away right in front of them. They're dying from this virus oh, that they don't think exists. So there's both ends of that spectrum. And then somewhere in the middle, we still can't agree. Because on both sides, like we got, we've got school districts that are closed. Las Vegas, Clark County, for example, uh, the schools, the schools aren't closed. The buildings are closed. You'll hear people say technically. So the kids are in virtual learning environments, but they're at home, which means the parents are at home, which means the parents can't be working, uh, especially if they work, you know, consumer service jobs. Um, and suicide is skyrocketing now in the youth population. Oh, really? Well, we're social creatures by nature. Like we, we evolved as human beings because of our social ability to like hang together in tribes. And so without that, children are taking their own lives. Why? (laughs) Because all they're doing is watching nastiness on social media (laughs) and they're not interacting with their friends. Nothing's normalized for them. So even that has become a fight. It's like, we can't put the kids back in schools because the teachers unions don't want them because the teachers unions for whatever reason don't want to go work in person. Some of it's legit. They're, you know, they're frail elderly. They don't want to be around possible exposure, whatever. They're the ones living on that end of the continuum where they're like, you know, afraid of everything. Um, and some of it's just a power play, uh, which is, which is absurd. So even, even children are not allowed to go back in schools, even though there's no empirical evidence that suggests that children pass the disease or even catch it. Um, it's, I can't, I, I can't even describe it. So to hear you say that like your country of um, literally triple the size of our country, I did get that number right, by the way, we have 30, 330 yeah. million people. In the US. <laughs> um, so actually I guess it's four times the size. Jeez, I mean, um, <laughs> can't even get that right. So, um, but your country is like, yeah, we know it's out there, but so are a lot of other things and they're moving on with life. Honestly, when the issue began here, people were dying more of starvation than they were dying of COVID. So it was a very simple debate for us that you open up work because people are going to die more of starvation. They're going to die first of starvation. COVID is a very later issue for them. They still So honestly, even the fact that our country had a lockdown for five months was huge. Honestly, it was a huge hit for our economy. Uh, it was a huge hit for our, for the working population, the blue-collar population in our country. And it was not pleasant to watch. It was not, it was, there was, there were numerous amounts of COVID relief things that were simply for people who were daily wage workers or, uh, or in that whole sector of kind of people. And, Honestly, it was less to do with the medical relief and all of that. It was simply because they were out of jobs and they could not feed their families. And we were only like, like fortunately, privileged people were taking out, um, you know, um, their resources to help other people. But the, our COVID relief was not for medical purposes at all in our entire uh, our, ours, ours wasn't either, really. I mean... I was going to ask you that too. That's my next question was, did the government just start printing money for people? Cause ours did. And it didn't do anything. It all went to the wrong places. I mean, so a large portion of it went to small businesses, which was good, but some nefarious bad actors who are well-connected in government ended up taking large portions yeah. of that that was intended for 
you know, businesses like mine, we ended up getting a loan that, and that allegedly that loan's going to be forgiven, but they, they printed off a trillion dollars. Our debt was like already like, I don't even know. I can't keep track anymore. It was like eight or 9 trillion. So here's another trillion. And then they did another trillion. And now they're doing another trillion and a third. It's like, what, when are we ever going to pay this back? And most of it's not getting in the hands of the people. So we're talking about like $600 stimulus checks, stimulus, that's not a stimulus check. If you're if you're eight months behind on rent, which there's a there's a rent uh, like an eviction moratorium nationwide uh, in most places, uh, so landlords haven't been able to collect money, banks yeah. aren't getting paid for their loans, people are way behind. I, like, what are we going to do? Just wave a magic wand? And then I guess we're talking global reset and the IMF and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, it's I, I don't know. So so yours actually made it into the hands of the people who needed it. to but that's not what the government was doing. That's oh. what people were doing. Oh, uh, like I independent see. organizations. The government was not doing this. Yes, they of course dedicated some resources, and they did. Uh, but you have to understand that this country, and um, I don't know how to put this in polite words. Don't we? Uh, we don't. Because... We don't do trigger warnings here. <laughs> um. So, I mean, it basically, they do not have, even if they want to, they do not have the capacity to provide for everybody, oh, even gotcha. if they want to. Okay. Uh, and that's the nicest way I can say it uh, without butchering either side of the argument. Um, because there are so many smaller problems in the way that even if they want to provide for businesses, the businesses itself are doing such, they're doing such like they're trying to escape from the taxes in so many ways yeah. that now the government doesn't want to help them. I mean, there are there are different ways I can put this that people don't want to pay the taxes because the government isn't helping them. Sure. But then there's another side of the story. So it's the same over here. You're right. But, it's the same over but, here. It's the same frustration. Yeah, exactly. So here the your small businesses were not getting any relief from the government at all. Uh, it was... It, they were the the government here was only focusing on medical resources because we obviously realized very early on that because we got to see other countries uh, and because we had the example of for example Italy uh, we got to we got to prepare in advance which is mm-hmm. why we had the lockdown which is something we all understood a lot later was that our lockdown was so that the government can prepare for the medical resources that they need so they Correct. started creating they started creating huge units of, of just hospital um, like uh, they started like taking over hotels and making them um, you know quarantine centers wow. or they started taking like huge arenas stadiums and making them into uh, quarantine centers because they realized that when it does hit us we are ruined because it's going to spread right. like wildfire here more than anywhere else because here there's no way you can socially distance there is right. just no you guys way. are all stacked on top of each other there huh yeah. <laughs> so um so, I mean, they did all of that. And yes, it worked. It helped in a lot of ways. I'm not saying that they didn't do a good job. Yes, they did do a good job in terms of the medical aspect of things. And honestly, everyone still got COVID. Like, I, there are... There <laughs> it's are a virus. Like, it's exactly. Gonna, it's gonna, virus gonna virus. <laughs> but what we did realize was that UK was trying to achieve herd immunity... But I think we've achieved it. 
to be very honest i think india has actually achieved herd immunity yeah. because we i don't i have attended four weddings since october and each wedding has had around 150 to 200 people and i have come back fine do you each think, time do you think you had it at some point Did i got you, myself you... tested um as in i got my antibodies checked and uh-huh. all of that several times i haven't had it oh okay hmm. interesting so you're just threading so, the needle then <laughs> i don't know how this is happening but it seems like it's happening to everybody nobody around me like i i know like probably 15 people out of the say 100 people that i know 15 have had covid and the rest of us are just going along with life chilling yeah. and we are fine so we i do believe that we have achieved what uh Boris Johnson was trying to yeah, achieve yeah yeah right huh i'll be darned i want to i want to go back to something cuz we could talk about the 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 note comparisons forever but you know it's a mental health podcast and try to want to honor that um i want to go back to something that you said earlier because i think it's really instructive for listeners you and i as professionals we suffer we struggle and uh one thing i said uh, i don't know when i said it i've i've got two podcasts now i don't know if you knew that but um <clears throat> i was like it one's one's about guns and mental health it's this really cool thing that that i'm involved in suicide prevention by firearms and um anyway at some point or another i was like wow we and this was early on probably april uh i was, I was talking to a colleague and we kind of had this epiphany we went oh man we're the people people go to when they're struggling because we're supposed to hold the space where they can heal because we have good boundaries and we have the training and all this stuff, right? Well, what happens when literally everybody is suffering and we're still relied upon as being able to shepherd and guide people through their dark times when we're all in the dark times? Like, how do we, how do we do that? And, and, and I suddenly was overwhelmed with this sense of not dread, but I guess it was more like, fascination, curiosity, and fear um, that I was like, man, I don't, how much longer do we get to do this? And I was like, uh, as long as it takes, that was my conclusion. That's how I got myself mentally through it. Um, yeah. It was, I, I reckon I, I always as frequently as I can, I go back to the union philosophy that the psych, the human psyche is limitless. So therefore I'm not going to put a cap on how much I can do. So yeah. For me, I just kept going back to, well, I'm going to do it as long as I can, because as long as I'm here, I'm going to keep doing it. And there's nothing that says I can't. So if I can tap into that, maybe I can be a light and a resource to others. But you were talking about how watching this, this, uh, actor die by suicide, um, you, you founded and head up a a suicide prevention organization called invisible illness, and you're a clinician. What do you mean when it, when you say it really affected you? Because you're surrounded by all the media and stuff. And then also, so that's one question. What do you mean when you say it affected you so deeply? And then the second one is, how do you still maintain strength for your, your patients? Um, I get asked this a lot. Uh, oh, good. But, yeah. <laughs> that means you will re- have rehearsed the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so when I meant when I said that I was really affected by it was because I was also in a pandemic. I was also going through everything that everyone was going through. I was also trapped inside a house. Yes, yes, I agree. I'm I'm supremely privileged. 
very supportive family very, proper house you know three meals a day everything i need is there no um no hiccups no hurdles in that in the basic necessities for sure and yes i'm supremely grateful for that and was grateful for it throughout the lockdown having said that i still have mental health and it can still get bad even though i have everything um so for me being stuck at home so personally what i was going through was i was uh, scheduled to be married in july and it obviously got cancelled and um, or postponed or whatever you'd like to say and at that time i was not even allowed to leave my house for four months to go and see my fiance who literally lives four blocks down no so way. it was wow. really really tough for me to mentally navigate through the process of not being able to see the person i'm i'm longing to see the most and then having to not know when i'm going to be married to this person yeah. so for me that aspect of things got a little overwhelming through the lockdown and then when i was working i my work amplified like every other mental health professional and that amplification of work initially was manageable and then eventually led to a burnout for me personally because i realized that i've bitten more than i can chew and um and honestly it took me a while to realize that i i was i was sort of like functioning on autopilot because i was just like i have to do this you know like yes. you said we are limitless yes. oh my and gosh and i just i'm so glad you said that yeah, yeah. so it was right. just it was just the burden of the responsibility that now is my time to you know this is this is what i've trained for this is this is this is my job i have to do it i have to take care of people i have to look out for them and it wasn't just my clients then it was my family it was my relatives yep. it was my friends it was basically anyone in my social environment was reaching out to me at that point yep and that responsibility led to a burnout more than the actual work uh i i just i just felt like an overbearing sense of like i was carrying other people's emotional emotions on me and i was sort of helping them through it and i even though i don't have that much of an impact on people's life i know i'm not uh you know i know that i don't have that kind of power and i real and i i'm aware that i have a limited amount of influence in people's life but at that point it felt like my influence was a lot more Well there's not that many of you over there, right? I mean men- isn't mental health like still struggling for relevance within the medical umbrella? Like you guys last time I talked to you was I don't even know 2 2 and a half years ago. Um but I remember you saying something like it's not even an insurance benefit. Now it is. Good. That's great. That's progress, right? But but if that's the case, how many people could possibly be in the profession that doesn't reimburse for the the care? it it would be all like cash pay for the wealthy and what not like i mean i can tell you precisely we are only 2000 uh clinical psychologists in india shut up out of 1.3 billion with a b people wow do you like do you like know them all do you guys like hang out at conferences together <laughs> <laughs> 2000 2000 i had more people in my high school jesse i graduated with classes like like 425 and there were like 2200 people in my high school that was 25 years ago 
there's 2000 psychologists in all of India. I now, mean, of course, a lot of, lot more uh, number of people trained to be a psychologist, but they don't really end up actually being in the profession or practicing or practicing in our country. So, well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause I, I don't know how the, the stratification works. Cause so over here, and this might be useful for people who are listening. We have, um, we have multiple levels of, uh, like mental health care workers, if you will. So mm. at the top would be MD medical doctor. That would be your psychiatrist. If you're doing mental health or behavioral health. Now, traditionally the psychiatrist was your talk therapist. They also dealt in medicine, but these mm. days they, they get paid far better for medication management consultation uh, than they do for, for talk therapy. So they spend more of their time managing medicine. And a lot of them are very skilled clinicians too at therapy, but most of the time they're, they're just spent doing medicine. Now below that you have other doctoral level, but they're not medical doctors. And that would be your psychologists and they can be clinical psychologists, educational psychologists, sports psychologists, all sorts of things. That would be your PhD, EDD uh, degree type holders. And then below that, you have master's level clinicians like myself. Mm-hmm. That's your marriage and family therapist, clinical professional counselor, so clinical social worker. Um, mm-hmm. And then below that, you've got bachelor's level. And depending on where you are in the United States, bachelor's level can get you a lot of things. It can get you community health worker. It can get you drug and alcohol counselor. You can also have a master's degree and be a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, and then below that, we've got people who don't require any degree at all, which would be your peer support specialists and in-home workers in some cases. And so there's this kind of stratification here. And, um, obviously as you go down the the pyramid, so to speak, there's, there should be more people at the base of the pyramid because entry is easier. Uh, the, the, the academic and financial barriers aren't there. So I'm curious how it goes in your country and how that all looks. Um, so the hierarchy is pretty much the same, but the internal bifurcation within each hierarchy is not. So yes, of course, the highest is an MD psychiatrist. Then do come the PhDs and the PhDs can be in uh, clinical neuro, um, forensic mm-hmm. uh, sure. psychology. So child just like psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and there's uh, the master's level, just like you said. And then there's the bachelor's level. But in, in in India, the bachelor's level cannot be employed. Like that's not, you're, you're not qualified to practice in any uh, capacity if you just have a bachelor's degree in psychology. You have to have a master's degree to do anything, um, which is a good sort of, some 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 rules and restrictions we do need, and this is something that's minimum, like bare minimum. Yeah. Um, and within that, so basically, uh, the master's degree for a clinical psychologist versus a counseling psychologist uh, are sort of different uh, in the sense of cl- cl- counseling psychologists in India are given a lot more leeway to be like, oh, even if you've done a six months course which you now which is a diploma you are still you're still allowed to be a counselor in a school but as a clinical psychologist that does not qualify you have to have um, a master's degree and maybe more like maybe an mphil degree and then a phd um so that's the like i mean it's pretty much the same bifurcation but it's just less strict i would say that you're somebody who's just done a master's and not got a PhD 
um, will still work with the capacity of someone who has a PhD because of the number of years of experience. Got it. Uh, some something of something on those lines, but the hierarchy is pretty much the same, I would say. And here, um, like I was saying before, the number of psychologists. Uh, when I say psychologists, I mean clinical and counseling, because everything else we don't really qualify as. Um, as in, we don't really have that many bifurcations, like I mentioned. There's clinical counseling and industrial. So when in, an industrial psychologist is only working in one section, so one sector of the community, uh, and that's pretty much corporates, HR, etc. Um, whereas the clinical and counseling psychologists are the ones who are pretty much dealing with population in the sense of taking on therapy clients, uh, one-on-one. Um, working in hospitals, working in clinics, so on, so on and so forth, which is a very small number of people. So I'm not looking at psychologists as a whole. I'm talking about clinical and counseling psychologists, which right. will be probably 2,000, maybe 2,500 in the whole country. Huh. Wow. So the, the, so the other ones, the, the industrial psychologists, those would be like people who work with organizations to help uh, leadership and management and that kind of thing? Okay. Yes. Now, Which is also a very small number because industrial psychologists in India do not get any recognition. You have to have an MBA. You can't just be oh. an industrial psychologist. Yeah. So over here, we're, we're constantly hearing that mental health is everybody's baby now, right? Uh, it's a nice little political football to be tossed around because, yes. <laughs> you know, it's sexy and it sells. Um, it's like, where were you even t- five years ago? Um, but exactly. all right. So there's all these efforts to increase the workforce, quote unquote. And usually what that translates into is talk therapists. They want more therapists. And I happen to fall into this, I think probably slightly unpopular camp that says uh, humanity made it, you know, 40,000 years or so in its current form uh, without our profession (laughs) uh, by leaning into each other through our communities and our families and uh, I, I happen to believe that we're all skilled by nature just to be good, present listeners, if, if we so desire. Uh, and I would, I would favor more putting money into those lower level uh, educational status jobs like case manager and uh, peer support specialist and wraparound service coordinator and that kind of thing. Um, over there, it sounds like they're not funded. Over here, I know that they're not funded, uh, except maybe with a grant here or there. But is that reasonable? Like, can can we just start like coaching people who have a desire to be helpers? You know, like be in the helping profession when they're in middle school or high school, and shoo them into this profession and be like, hey, we'll we'll credential you just like we credential anybody else to do, you know, auto mechanics or whatever. Um, mm-hmm but we're not going to make the bar so high that we require you to go to graduate school just to, to help. Cause there's so many people who need help. I don't know. What's the solution. Honestly, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm dreaming. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a little divided on this concept because I do believe that, uh, yes, there needs to be, uh, the way peer support is, portrayed or is seen is generally as as oh your friends sitting with you and telling you that oh things will be fine at least in this part of the world that's okay how it is. we just got a certification for that like 
a year ago. Maybe maybe it was a year and a half ago. So it's brand new well, here we too. Don't have this. We don't uh, have okay. this. Uh, what we do have is we have two organizations in two two that I know of, of course, uh, in India that train people in the community to be primary respondents. That's oh, okay. Um, they they train they're training people to be able to pick up on and respond appropriately to a mental health need in your community. Right. Okay. So, and you have to renew your course every year. You can't just get the degree. You can't just do a three month course once and then be able to practice it for lifetime. It doesn't work like that. So that's something that's, that's happening here and is picking up. So there you can be a primary mental health respondent. You can be a primary suicide respondent. Where do those people so, work? So uh, they, this is not a full-time employment. This is just something you're doing to benefit oh. your own life and your community because it's like learning CPR. Right, right. Okay. Okay. That's cool though. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's an equivalent to learning CPR, but it's a mental health need rather than a physical need. Um, and CPR is not something we learn in Indian schools, etc. It doesn't happen. Uh, so I'm just like bringing that <laughs> yeah. in. Um, but this is something that's picking up a lot of organizations. Uh, two very big organizations that I know of are doing this on a large scale. The other organizations are doing it sort of like a gimmick, like, oh, sign up with us and you'll become a respondent kind of thing. Uh, not sure how effective that is. But what's happening because of this is a lot of people are now feeling entitled. Like they feel like they can save everyone, which is a big yeah, that's issue. Bad. Yeah, that's bad. <sighs> Unintended which consequence. Is, yeah, which is the double-edged sword with this whole thing. When you when you spoke of the lower um, educational people being given more opportunities, the problem is that the lesser knowledge you have, the more ig- the, like the ignorance is so high that you yeah. think that it just creates too many problems. Yep. We see uh, that we see that in suicide intervention here. You take one suicide intervention course or one crisis intervention training to you know go staff the phones at crisis call center, uh, and so not everybody, but sometimes people will will feel quite empowered to go save the world, like they're wearing a cape now. Yeah, and over here, I think I think the phrase for that what you just described is called mental health first aid. But mostly, it's we're training teachers and nurses and that kind of thing. But it's not general community workers, but it should be. It really should be. So here also, there is mental health first aid that happens, but teachers are not doing it, which is, which is really bizarre, which is something, in fact, invisible illness is doing. We have a teacher training primary respondent program where we, where we've approached schools to sort of uh, train their teachers to be able to pick up on signs and symptoms uh, so that, and, and know how to respond to it appropriately, which Honestly, nobody seems to be interested in for some reason. But uh, I mean, honestly, it's just a matter of time. But I do. Is it it the stigma? Is it still stigmatized? It's the stigma. It's not really the stigma. It's the value that they don't see in it. Okay. So they are okay if we are doing this for free. They are not okay to pay us for it. That's (laughs) the sort of thing. Right. (laughs) It's valuable enough for you to come and do this. But it's not valuable enough for me to pay for it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the sort yeah. of argument. Um, Audience can't see me, but I'm, gr- I'm, I'm, I'm grimacing and grinning and shaking my head because it's so typical. It's so typical. <laughs> it really is. It really right. is. 
And yeah, so I mean, when you say that, um, I just feel like there's a double-edged sword there when we're trying to empower um, people who are not completely educated in the sector. You may have uh, consequences which are not pleasant. Yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, I take it from the guy who chaired his state licensing board for a couple of years. I I totally get it because we we even have well vetted credentialed people who don't do the right thing because they themselves have not addressed their own wounds. And so they, they bring that wherever they go and creates problems. How is invisible illness doing? Uh, through the lockdown, we did really well, of course, just, and this is a running joke that I had. And it's similar to what you said in the beginning is just that when the world is going to shit, we are in business. So yeah, it's season yeah, time for yeah. us. And, uh, you know, like a lot of times people ask me, like, is mental health seasonal business? And I said, yes, it is. It is absolutely seasonal uh, because, uh, I mean, it's very evident. The lock, the pandemic has made that extremely evident for us. Um, so, I mean, we did really well through the lockdown. Uh, supremely busy. We were doing workshops. We were doing training sessions. We were... Uh, creating mental health content for brands we were doing a lot of awareness we were doing um i was i was doing practically three instagram lives a day uh and wow. like uh, talking to um people all around the world um you know doing podcasts doing uh youtube uh you know whatever it's called on youtube uh but basically interviews etc so many that i just was i was just like i feel like i'm saying the same thing on repeat for like yeah. 6 months that's what happened um so we did really well and then as soon as things opened up i knew that this would have ha- this would happen but like everyone was sort of like telling me that no you know what this is the time for mental health the next two years la 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 and i was just like no i i do see that yes right now it's picking up but what i do realize that this is simply because people do not have an option to do anything else as soon yep. as they do have an option to um um go out meet friends do whatever it is that people do they will not care they will genuinely not care and that's exactly what happened as soon as we had our unlock 1.0 i you could immediately see the difference you immediately saw that people just were like like people who had just joined therapy were like okay you know they'll do two sessions and never come back for example there were companies that were like okay now you know what we are comfortable with work from home so we don't really like we don't really want this employee assistant programming we don't need one on one yeah for again no um, value right exactly um so and as as the unlock progressed we saw that um just increase like we just saw that people were like okay you know what this is not that important as we thought it was and returned to normalcy and even though normal was not good but they were okay with that because it's normal for them uh so yeah we initially did well and then eventually i think uh it's just that people stopped valuing it so um I, I'm looking for something here in my drive. I was going to show you, but I'll just I'll just tell it to you because it doesn't really matter, and you're going to picture it in your head anyway, and the audience can't see it. Um, but so the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. Uh, collects all of our illness data. Um, I didn't know this until I attended a workshop by total accident. It was something I got in my email, and I was like, "Oh, that looks interesting." And it had to do with mental health in the construction industry. I was like, "Oh, 
I don't know. It was, it was a free one hour webinar. I just dropped in. We get a lot of construction going on in, in our area. So uh, business is booming and whatnot. I was like, oh, that might be relevant. And this gal presented a slide of some data that I had never seen before. And apparently the CDC has been doing this for years where they do um, random polling on people's mental health condition throughout the year. They do it like uh, January through June, and then they pick it up again in July or January through July. They pick it up against August and the end of the year. So she goes, check this out. In 2020, the January to, to July data, uh, they, they measure anxiety symptoms, depressive symptoms, and then um, either one or the other. Mm. And from 2019 in the same period, mm. the U.S. across the board, regardless of age uh, or demographic, recognized a four to five fold increase in anxious and depressive symptoms. It was unbelievable. And the most affected groups were the 18 to 24 age group. And then uh, interestingly, it slowly declined as you got older. So the oldest population actually suffered the let the least. Um, I I'm guessing if I had to just speculate, it's probably because they've lived more life and they've got more distress tolerance um, as, as people tend to do when they age. But it was really fascinating to me to see this, this trend. So then I, I scrolled through the data, right? So I, I was like, this is fascinating. So I go to the website and I, I start pawing through it myself and there's a trend line and it goes from March when the lockdowns began, where it just spiked right mm-hmm. to July. And there was a dip in May. And in May was when like you referenced like unlock 1.0 or whatever they called it. Cause everybody's got it. Every government project has to have a brand, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, ours was, ours was whatever they call it. The, the, the phases phasing out or phasing in or whatever. And I watched it go. Whoop, and then when, when things started to spike and they locked it back up, locked everybody back down again, whoop, right up again. I was like, this is it. This, this, this can't be any clearer. We need human connectivity. Like we absolutely need it. And um, to your point about invisible illness, like not not doing as much business uh, when everybody came out of their their homes, uh, I had a supervisor. She's actually on the show just a couple episodes ago. Uh, Gail Falstich once told me, "Summertime is slow for therapists because the sun <laughs> comes out and everybody's problems go away." I was like, "That is true." And schools schools out right, so there's fewer eyeballs on the kids to to like bring problems to the parents' attention. But yeah, um, what is the what is the weather like? By the way, what's your, what's your climate in Mumbai? Right now? Yeah. This is what we call cold. It's 25 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> Celsius. Yes. So it's like 80 <laughs> or something like that. 78. And I don't for know. us, it's like, ooh, this is a nip in the air. We can wear like, I'm wearing a sweater. Like, I can't yeah. even. So this is like, winter. This is winter for you then. This is winter. And summer's, is sum, summer's what? Like nine, like what, what would it be? Like 35 uh, Celsius? Uh, it goes up to 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. That's hot. That's like 110 or something. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm translating to Fahrenheit because yeah. we use Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I understand. So do you see, I guess the question is, do you see the seasonal stuff without a pandemic? Yes. That's what okay. I was just going to say was yeah. we, see, we see mental health be seasonal irrespective of the pandemic because so of course, uh, November to December, November and December is like, party season because we have Diwali, we have a couple of other festivals and then there's Christmas and then there's New Year's, which okay. is 
pretty much all the holidays are all together for us uh, because we diwali for us is huge it's our new year uh, it's the hindu new year so uh, it's a huge 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 festival around the country so we get a substantial amount of days off and then there are a couple of other holidays along with diwali that come um so from october november december like october november december nobody will show up for therapy like ah uh, okay cuz they're all having fun they're all going out there are parties they're all drinking there's cards being played like so diwali is a very big gambling sort of get together okay. uh and that's that's something that happens for like 20 days straight um oh, where the families get together friends get together and we're all like playing cards and it's pretty friendly and all of that and it's it's honestly the happiest time of the year uh it's like your christmas you know like mm-hmm. how christmas would be for you it's for us and um and then there it's followed by christmas and then new year so that whole time nobody cares about their mental health whatsoever because they're happy and as soon as it's new year's like as soon as january has hit jan feb march we are like we get inquiries from everywhere like corporates will reach out to us that okay now you know the new year is starting we need to do this program and that program and we need to prepare for mental health day uh Party's or whatever over. parties over reality sets back in exactly wow. and then we go to um i think the other two months that there is no work uh for us is i think june and july i have no idea why but uh, i i don't have a logical reason for it but what i've noticed is that june and july work is lesser hmm. so uh so i'm i'm not i'm not particularly sure why anymore but um but yes it is seasonal we have noticed that i think it's because people are traveling a lot in june and july because oh, okay. it's like it's like is is school is school out in the summertime there or is it year round so the, now the rules are changing a lot all the schools have different rules now there are a lot of schools that have don't have a two month summer vacation they have summer vacation for 10 days then they have school for one month and then 10 days again which is really sad in my opinion yeah we're doing the same um, thing here big big fall break winter break spring break and the, and the, and summer has become shortened so you're essentially yeah. going all year round yeah exactly so that's what's happening so because of that most like families want to travel in like may and june so that's when we also see a dip of like participation or people caring in general about mental health um and we see this also not just through one on one therapy but we have a lot of events that we do a lot of like awareness events things like that so participation in that also drops in these months so we know now that october november december we don't plan anything um right. we uh so and it's it's honestly it's good for us also because then i also get to enjoy my time my diwali my new year my christmas so it's great sure. for me also so i'm not really complaining yeah. it's just an observation <laughs> yeah yeah no that's good it's 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 good to to hear these things because it validates what we're doing too the interesting comparison i think is over here the holidays of um november december january where it's uh you got halloween uh at mm-hmm. the end of october and then uh veterans day where we mm-hmm. have one day off to celebrate veterans of the the military and then it's thanksgiving at the end of um uh november and then christmas and then new years which are a week apart from one another the interesting thing here is i think that <clears throat> christmas is no longer uh i don't know if it ever was really not in, not in a couple of lifetimes anyway i don't 
it's lost its real meaning of like giving as the 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 three wise men gave gifts to Jesus, right? To welcome him in. It's become about consumerism. And mm-hmm. so it's like spending. And so there's all this like social pressure to spend. And there's this almost like a transactional relationship ledger sheet type uh, thing that goes on where it's like, oh, you gave me a gift. Now I have to give you one. And people are worried about finances and social norms and whether or not they're, they're giving enough. And, and what's really, it's really fouled up to me is we have this thing and I don't know if you guys do it, but we do black Friday, which is the consumerist like push to buy all your presents right after Thanksgiving and then yeah. there's Cyber Monday where you're supposed to like go online and do all your shopping. And then there's Giving Tuesday after Cyber Monday where all the nonprofits come out and they're like, they're soliciting donations. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So you compete for the leftover crumbs after corporate America takes all your money for buying shit you don't need. <laughs> like, like, oh, God. It's, it's so inverted. Like, that's not what this is about, man. And, and turned the most jolly holiday into the most capitalistic version of it. it it's hideous. And, and, and there's such competition. Um, I'm start, The good news is though, not to like, so I'm not making this sound like it's horrible. The good news is I'm starting to see more and more people who are rejecting that philosophy. They're like, we're just not giving it. My family for sure is not doing it. Many of my friends are not doing it. They're like, I'm not giving mm-hmm. gifts to my grown 40 year old brother anymore. What are we doing? We're just pushing money around. Like if, if if I see something cool, I'm going to mail it to him throughout the year. I don't have to wait till December to do it. Um, And similarly, I think I'm seeing a lot more people just kind of shutting off social media, which we could probably, you know, bang on for another hour. But um, I'm I'm starting to see some encouraging Mm -hmm. signs that mental health is actually being taken care of. Um, So maybe this, this big messaging that is, become popularized and there's everybody's shiny new object now maybe it's working you know i don't know I, I, i'm curious to know what your take is on it as we were both you know i produce social media content you produce social media content and by the way if you're listening to this go definitely follow jazz deep on uh instagram her videos are great like absolutely great punchy pithy entertaining um very you're you're always fired up you, you carry a great energy the information is very sound it's very practical people can apply it in their lives like i love watching your videos um oh, thank you so yeah. much yeah you're welcome you you earned it um but like you and i both produce this stuff for social media and so we find ourselves i i think i find myself in this weird double bind where i'm like i don't want to be part of the machine and yet I know that's how I get the biggest audience. If you can call a couple hundred people a big audience, I mean, it's bigger than any auditorium I've ever filled. So like, yeah. that's big to me. Um, yeah. And if I'm going to give a message, like I'm going to keep doing it, even though it kind of feeds the, the beast, right? So like, how do you feel about that? Now, do you think you're, you're seeing the needle move at all? I've had so many, so much back and forth with this, with myself that, uh, I mean, I hate social media. I hate it. Thank God. I, I'm not alone. That's, that makes me feel good, honestly. Yeah. No, I, I, actually, I actually think it is the worst creation for mental health. But I do think it is the best thing for a business. Yeah. So that's where my conflict is. That for me, honestly, personally, there was a... There, like in the past month, I've been consuming a lot more Instagram than I was before. But 
that also has its own mental health reasons but the for the past i think whole year entire 2020 i barely did anything personal on instagram because i just i just couldn't i just couldn't yeah. I, I, what i was doing I was all work related because i realized that it is it, it is a tool to amplify my business it is a tool to amplify my credentials my work and it is a tool to reach people globally which i would not get otherwise so um like we would not be talking if it no. wasn't for social media no safiso came across you and 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 connected us and i thought that was awesome exactly so i mean the fact that this has happened just simply because i put out a few couple of posts on social media and uh made myself available on it that it it led to something it led to a good relationship between two people who live in two different parts of the globe uh i feel like that is my entire drive to even doing anything on social media i don't look at it as something for me anymore it's only my work uh it's only for my social media presence is only my professional presence and i do realize that now people don't only want to see me talk about mental health they want to see me talk about me yeah uh which is something which i'm struggling with a lot like a lot of people now will ask me randomly that you know why don't you tell us about your education and your uh, journey and your this and i'm just like no i don't <laughs> no <laughs> i have something for you that might help um and take take this or leave it it's just my perspective <clears throat> i was educated through my grad program to do exactly what you're doing which is continue the veiled therapist uh motif if you will mm-hmm. um you know learn everything about your patients but don't share anything about yourself and i have been on a long slow steady journey against that and it wasn't always intentional but it's become it's become in the last 5 to 6 years far more intentional i purposely share so that i can maintain some of my basic fundamental tenets which are authenticity transparency consistency um if i am expecting that of my my clients my patients i have to do it too now that's not to say that i overshare and 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 it takes a good skillful insightful self-aware person to know the difference right so i'm not going to use their time in the session or my my uh my interns or my students time in supervision to talk about my own stuff or process through my own issues. That's mm-hmm. totally inappropriate. However, what is very appropriate at all times is if if you have a reasonably similar experience that will create rapport and you can heighten that rapport through sharing it, I I don't think it's just a good idea. I think it's required that we Absolutely. say Yeah, like you just shared, you're getting married, you had your wedding put on hold and and on hiatus or whatever. Like there are people out there who have had graduations delayed, promotions, um people who've put their businesses on hold. And I think that if you share something like, "Yeah, man, I get it. My my marriage got stalled." They go, "Oh, thank you. Somebody gets me." And you're not just this like faceless clinical being who's just being Absolutely. a mirror, right? So, as you move into the social media realm, I've watched a few people who I look up to. Um Christian Conti is one of them. He's he's a good friend and a mentor of mine. Uh he lives in Pennsylvania. He's doing great work with Pennsylvania prison system. I've mentioned him a million times in this program. DR Christian C O N T E Conti.com. Uh follow him on Instagram whatever. He brings his wife and his his daughter onto camera with him 
I, th- I think that's amazing. I mean, he talks about parenting and relationships and marriage stuff. And the other guy is um, Zubin Demania, who is a uh, medical doctor here. He goes by Z-Dog MD, Z-D-O-G-G-M-D. And he's become a quite a social media presence. Um, he was before. He did all these crazy, cool videos that are like p- kind of mocking and poking at fun at healthcare. Um, but now he's become a leader in, during the pandemic on basically science. Not politic science, not um, hyperbolic opinions, but just what is what do what does the science say? What do what do the researchers say? And he's become a real leading voice in that. And he talks about his family all the time. He talks about his home. He's very very transparent, and I think it makes him more relatable. So if if that helps you, I would encourage you to do that because I think it makes you human. And when people see that a human being has done what you're doing, which is essentially become a leader in your community a leader in your profession, um, a thought, a, an original thought provoker and somebody who cares deeply instead of just like a person on Instagram seeking fame. Cause I think that we kind of go there sometimes. Um, I'm Insta famous, right? Like that will not only create more credibility, but it will invite more people in to do that same thing. And then the whole field augments, right. And the whole rising tide lifts all boats philosophy gets implemented. So I would encourage you not to, not to shy away from that. I would embrace that and, um, and really step into it. Um, I think you've got a great, great possibility. I, I wish there. I had the, I wish I had the courage to go all out. The, the problem is not, uh, whether it's good for me or not. I know it's great for me. It's The problem is whether I'm willing to give that piece of my life to the rest of the world is my issue. And I do I know it. that it has a lot it. of layers in that of like fear and judgment. And I, I'm aware, I'm extremely self-aware human being. Um, too, too aware for my own good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, I'm sure you, you understand that. My wife um, would never want to be on any of my YouTube videos, but <laughs> she she has no problem with my kids being on there, which is interesting. Yeah. So um, I totally get it. Yeah. And you want to keep parts of your life private for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, not everybody doesn't need to know everything either. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm at the place where I'm trying to strike that balance between providing mental health care and providing mental health care for myself. So that's, right. that's the real balance that I'm trying to sort of strike because giving that piece of my life to the world means that's less for me in the sense that it will take a toll on my mental health at some point. And am I willing to cross that barrier is where I'm sort of, I'm negotiating with myself at this point. How much am I willing to um, give and how much am I, uh, and how much do I think I need for my sanity? That's that's Uh, good. That's good. uh, So, it's it's a it's honestly social media is all consuming so it, you know i feel like you can't just have one foot in the door and then figure it out it's it's all in like you have to be all in to some degree i i do feel uh that there is that pressure so i'm i feel like i'm going to take my time with it before i uh, you know, give up my life completely. Just put all glass around your house, no walls, no doors, just so everybody can see everything all the way through. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's much. what it is. That's what it is. And I live in India. There are not like one, there's not one person watching me from the side. Like, like 4,000 people <laughs> <Yeah>. looking at <laughs> me. So, 
it's it's a very different ball game here but i do follow like two very cool mental health professionals from the us actually they are females and they talk about how mental health professionals are judged on social media for being um like for drinking or for smoking or for wearing provocative clothes mm-hmm. uh, because i do get this i get it i get this a lot because a lot of my clients for um, i have an open profile on instagram a lot of my clients follow me and i don't really have a problem with that because right. i'm not i'm not hiding anything from anybody no. um but i applaud that that's good i do on the odd chance like in therapy they'll tell me oh yeah but you were partying last night and you must be hungover and i'm just like you know i'm Let's allowed talk about you <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i'm a human like you know i go out i have friends i socialize i drink right. and it's okay so i feel like that's a really important message and a lot of mental health professionals around the world are trying to debunk that that you know we are also human beings that's great which most people forget most they people do. don't forget that well it's a lot of it's a lot of projection right we we end up becoming what people need us to be for for their world to make sense. And and that's true of everybody. I mean the, the from the grocery clerk to the to the professional athlete. I mean um they all become what we what we need them to be for our for our egos to make sense of it. Uh, who are the two people that you follow very closely? I want to know who those people are. Okay, so I'm supremely dyslexic. So I when I read <laughs> names, I uh, no I'm genuinely very dyslexic and when I read But usually people don't laugh I, when they say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just like um when i read the name and what the name actually is are two different things so i will send it to you if i okay. can because i for the for the love of god i cannot say it i can't remember it i can't even read it clearly because that's just a how would you how did you get through school so like uh, serious question so honestly i paid a lot more attention in school now my attention is a lot it's a bigger issue than my uh, dyslexia is but in school i well, had a lot of old also you're getting that. old you're yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that i'm only to eat but okay this <laughs> is a 30 mark so oh my god <laughs> i love that i could i'm glad i could tease you about that i'm 42 yeah. i can i can make funny of course <laughs> yeah gray hair and everything sorry go on go on go on um how did i get through school i i had a lot of help and i was honestly very uh, dedicated towards uh, proving everybody wrong that i suck uh, i was just like i'm going to prove you guys wrong i don't suck really and literally the only thing that set me apart from from all the high ranking students was the fact that my sentences would have like a single sentence would have like if it has seven words in it out of 7 5 would be incorrect but i was still not diagnosed where i was huh. in school because of uh i guess because it, there was lack of awareness so i did not have a diagnosis i did not get the concession that generally a learning disa- disabled student would get um happens but it's a fine. lot that happens yeah. a lot but it's absolutely fine because honestly once you get out of school and you're in uh say high school college degree uh getting your bachelor's etc they don't really care too much about the spellings anymore they just care about what you're writing so i i it sort of worked for me in that sense because i was just like um what i wrote was fine it just sometimes the spelling like e and a would be swapped hmm. um and if any word had too many vowels in it i would just feel so confused like i would not be able to spell it correctly in one single page even once 
so there'll be like 10 different spellings of like the word convenient because wow. i still can't spell convenient uh, you- it's it's really hard for me to uh, i don't know there's too many vowels at the same time everywhere i just i just can't <laughs> I when when why. did you when did you figure out that it was dyslexia and like how did you uh, uh um, work through it i guess so when i actually uh when i started studying psychology i uh, was working at i was interning at a clinic uh, at a, uh with a clinical psychologist and he um he he had the uh, ld uh testing which i was just like okay i want to do this you know cuz i had to learn it anyway as it uh, so we were doing right. it on each other like the interns right. so i said like i'll take the test and all of it like dysgraphia dyscalculia all of it sort of propped up and i was just like well hello i've not <laughs> <laughs> you know i've been saying this for so long nobody has been listening to me oh uh, man because nobody knows what it is but like literally this has been the problem uh but i mean i got through fine so i guess it wouldn't have been that bad i just think like over time social media has made it worse cuz all these names of everyone on social media it's so confusing you know what i mean like so it took me the longest time to get your clinic's name like to read it to be able to read oh Z- zafer yeah. Uh, yeah because i was just like i just don't understand what it's going to sound like like interesting my- it's super hard for me and on instagram the two words are put together so for me it's one word and i'm not able to decipher that they're wow. two different words that's wild so this this is a huge problem i face every day so when i see things on instagram and someone asks me what was the name of the page i i can't for the for the love of god i can't say it because huh. they are all like random words put together which make a bigger random word that don't make sense to me That's, that's what it is. That sounds like a different kind of dyslexia than my uh, I have a one of my best friends has been dyslexic his whole life and he didn't discover it till later also. Um and what he's got is like he transposes words, like he reads it all fine, but he has to mm-hmm. slow down. Like it takes him w- like absurdly long times to read something that normally you you know a random person would take, you know, 5 minutes it takes him 30. and so he 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 does a lot of audiobooks these days but um but yours sounds like it's like this almost like a i'm just guessing here but it sounds like a graphic misinterpretation it's like you're yeah. it's it, it blends together dysgra- right. so it is called dysgraphia oh interesting yeah. well that's cool it i mean it's bad. it's encouraging though to, you know for people who may be listening like I know that a lot a lot of parents who have kids who are struggling with some sort of um developmental delay or learning disability they don't know what it what it is and there's school psychologists are few and far between here and it's hard to get them tested and there's a backlog and all that stuff so it's nice to know that somebody who you know achieved a doctoral level degree and you know is highly successful is like oh yeah me too I also have a learning disability and life's not over just because of that <laughs> that's really it's really cool Thank you Absolutely not over because I was not even diagnosed and I still got through school and I did okay. I was not exceptional because of obviously the obvious reason. Sure. But uh I I did fine and it's okay like at the end of it nobody even remembers what how you fared in school. It's what you right. do after that counts. So Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That's really nice of you. Hey, before I let you go cuz um we've gone on for like almost 2 hours now. Um how is Jay? Do you do you still talk to Jay Punjabi? Oh, <laughs> still talk to Jay. He's still my business partner. Oh, okay. I did I don't know. I haven't kept up, yeah. I guess. 
Yeah, so he is sort of only handling the back end business administrative work of Invisible Illness. He's doing really well apart from that. So he is actually doing music production on the side. He is still good. Uh, yes, and he's doing really well. Uh he opened his own recording studio actually in Mumbai around Whoa. Whoa, that's cool. amazing it's absolutely a beautiful place and it's it's stunning he's right now in the maldives uh, he's gone for a dive trip which he organized for like 26 of his friends he's doing a lot and he's really killing it in life i really envy him <laughs> and that's his energy cool. that's great i saw uh, uh one thing is he's a follow you guys both i've been on off instagram for a couple months now which I, i i'm healthier for but i remember him posting something where he was like doing the equivalent of snowboarding and i've snowboarded uh a ton in my but life but in the sand but in sand i know it was awesome <laughs> i was like that's amazing and i like i messed around i was like this is the coolest thing ever he's like yeah until you get sand in your shorts or something whatever he said i'm yeah. like yeah i'll take the snow <laughs> yeah yeah i was like dude i want to go sandboarding that's amazing I know right I mean it was insane so he got he went with Etihad Airlines to for a fully paid trip for the Grand Prix in uh wow. in Abu Dhabi and all of these things that he was doing was completely fully paid I was just like this What? is the life How did <laughs> what? <laughs> what is going on you are yeah. going you're sand boarding and it's for free are you yeah. kidding me <laughs> Yeah I would, I would say yes also yes. Oh man All right. Well, hey, I appreciate you. Um you're like 14 time zones ahead of me or something like that, which means it's I don't know like 1 a.m. or something there. Um do you uh this I'm I'm closing up the podcast this way these days. Do you have something that you want to leave the listening audience, some little tidbit or piece of information or uh some invitation or um you know, challenge or something like that, some takeaway? Um and I mean I I find myself saying this a lot I think every time I interact with other people uh I I just feel like compassion is one thing that is really missing in human society and if we all just become even 1% more compassionate than we were yesterday I feel like we will all be so much happier Uh, as a community as a society as humanity and i genuinely feel we all have it in us to be that so um this is something i find myself saying a lot so i'm just going to say that again that i think that everyone has the capacity to be a little more compassionate than they were yesterday so we should definitely take the opportunity to just like pause in that moment and think of it from a more compassionate angle whatever it is that you're going through whether it is wearing two masks or wearing 10 masks or nobody wearing a mask um whatever the dilemma is i feel like everyone needs to just pause look at it from a more compassionate perspective and then take a decision then use words and then take action uh from that perspective and that's what i'd like to leave people with basically <laughs> I love it. That's beautiful. I have nothing to add. That's that's great. Thank you for saying that. I think we all need that reminder. So, uh, how do people reach you on the interwebs? Um, you can find me on my personal profile which is just Deep Margo or on Invisible Illness India, uh which both are on Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter under the same handles which I also respond to now. 
Uh, I'm trying to be more active. It's my 2021 uh, <laughs> uh, resolution to be more active on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's the only way you can find me <laughs> <All right. laughs> pretty much. J-A-S-D-E-E-P-M-A-G-O. Just Deep Mago. Thank you Thank for you. spelling that because sometimes I also make mistakes in spelling my own name. So <laughs> just joking. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why it's enjoyable. We we can we can have good laughs about uh, things that other people think are quite serious, but they're really not. So thank you. Um, appreciate your time. Thanks for carving it out. I know that uh, Safisa will appreciate it also. And uh, as I try to say every episode, this information doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. So please share it around with your friends and family. And uh, as always, we wish you great mental wellness. Bye-bye.